Second Chronicles 34. And let's just get started with a word of prayer here. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you so much for your word. And, uh, you know, your word went missing for a little bit in this chapter. In fact, more than a little bit. But we thank you so much for it because it's, it's our guidance. It's our light. It's our compass. It's our hope. And it tells us so much about your will and your love for us. Lord, uh, I thank you for the souls here tonight. Bless every one of their households, Lord. Amen. So here we are, and it says, uh, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in the ways of his father David, and he did not run aside to the right or to the left. So we've been waiting for this guy for a long time. We finally got one that is uh, doing the right thing in the eyes of the Lord, and he's associated with uh, his father, David. So he must be an okay guy. And I went online today, and I asked uh, the computer to spit out uh, how many good kings and how many bad kings in Israel. And uh, the northern tribes were 0 for 20. They had no good kings. Of course, they had left Jerusalem and they were in idolatry big time. And then it, it uh, spit out uh, what I needed for the uh, Judah and uh, the Jerusalem area and Benjamin. And they, had, uh, they were 8 for 20. And I did a walk through the Bible years ago when I first became a Christian. They had this thing, walk through the Bible, where you got an overview. And they said, uh, maybe two good kings down there in Judah. So, uh, you know, this isn't good. This isn't real good. And as you go through the early books of the Bible and you talk about the priesthood, you talk about the kings, you talk about the judges, they all had corruption issues. So they're just like us, and God has to work with them. And uh, Josiah was was an outstanding guy. He was... uh, he was right in the sight of the Lord. And we've been waiting for this guy. And as I reviewed this and reviewed some of the other good kings, I think, I think this guy's the standout of, of all the good kings. Hezekiah was good. He had some issues, though. Uh, Manasseh finished well, but he was, a, he was a rip snorter during most of his reign. But Josiah is connected with David, and I think that's very important because when Jesus was announced uh, the prophecy, and I, I think maybe the angel said this to Mary, that he will sit, Jesus will sit on his father David's throne. This is Jesus. God will sit on David's throne. So David's quite a guy. David's quite a guy. David had some indiscretions. But he was honest with God, and he was, he was put back in, in good relationship. So David has this everlasting kingdom, this everlasting throne, and Josiah is associated with his father David. So that is a big credential thing right off the bat. And it says here that he did not waver to the right or to the left. And that's how scripture says he did a real good job of staying on the path you know, he didn't, he didn't drift off to the left. My van drifts to the left. I'm not paying attention. I'm left to center. It's not a good thing. My other car doesn't go the other way. But, uh, you know, 
you got to be paying attention in life because you can drift. There are a lot of distractions out there, as you know. The world's just full of them. And Josiah kept it, kept it together. He kept it on the path. And we know what Jesus said about uh, you know, paths, that uh, broad is the path to destruction and narrow is the path to righteousness. So Josiah had it together as a kid, eight years old when he reigned. Uh, we did Joash. I think the last time I taught, I did Joash, and he was four when he came in. But uh, he had uncles and priests that were helping him, and uh, he was good, but he wasn't as good as this guy. So he starts out really, really good, and uh, I wish some more young people were here because uh, this is a real testament to uh, young folks that he stayed on the path and uh, did a real good job. And he does some amazing things when he's 20, when he's, when he's 16. And uh, there's the old uh, CBC verse. Zach, do you remember? <laughs> I'm not going to put you on the spot. And you probably can recite it. You were, you were a good memorizer. But there's 1 Timothy. And it says, uh, let no one despise your youth. This guy was young. And I don't think anybody despised his youth. He was great king. But be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. And we think this guy was hitting on all these issues here. So youngsters at camp, I hope they're, they're doing all of these things and learning about them too. But this was a young king. And uh, let's read on here and, and see how he maintains, see how he gets going in the Lord. And three, it says, in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek God of, uh, seek the God of his father, David. And there's that link with David again. Good credential, real good credential to be compared with David. Um, David, the great poet, David, the great friend of God. It says he began to seek God. And we know the scripture about Ask, seek, and knock. And all of those says if you're in earnest, you know, the questions will be answered. When you seek, you're going to find. And when you knock, it will be opened unto you. And I think that's what's going on here. And this guy was probably raised in a a corrupt environment. Uh, His dad, Ammon, was uh, Manasseh's son, and Ammon was not a good king. And Manasseh established a lot of idolatry, uh, you know, in Judah, and uh, it, was, it was still prevalent, still prevalent. What did this guy do to put himself on the right path, to put himself on the right path? I think he yielded to the Holy Spirit. I think he was called of God to be a good king, but you could say no to that. You could say no to that. Isn't that always the trick, is to say yes to the Holy Spirit when he's coaching you? Yeah, he'll talk to you. He talks to you a lot. And uh, I, I can step right over him. Yeah, that's, that's a good idea, Holy Spirit, but I'm going to do it my way. And then I do it my way, and then he says, you dope. <laughs> I tried to tell you. Now you look bad. You should have kept your mouth shut, Rich. But uh, I, I think, it, you know, it's definitely the Holy Spirit here says he sought the God of his father, David. He listened to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit led him in the right direction. 
It said in the 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, and the carved images, and the molded images. These guys have got images now. They got a lot of them. They got all kinds of them. They got wooden ones, they got metal ones, and they got stone ones. They like images, definitely. And he started a purge. He's going to take care of them. High places. I'm sure James has talked about this. Uh, That's the areas uh, that idolatry was uh, practiced. They would kind of go into a secluded spot, build an altar. They would build these poles or likenesses of their god. And uh, their gods must have been weak because they, they needed to be closer to their gods. They needed high places. So he knew where they were at. There were a lot of them, and he was going to take them out, and he's going to do a real good job of that. Um, Israel has been plagued with this for years and years and years, and they will be plagued with it again after him, after him. He's, he's a breath of fresh air. Do you remember way back in Genesis, and we, we studied that, boy, maybe two years ago, and we studied that in my young adults class, there was one thing when, um, when Jacob left Laban's place and his favorite wife had a favorite possession. Do you remember what that possession was? And Laban came looking for it. It was an idol. It was an idol, you know, godly Jacob with his wives and that whole situation. And his favorite wife... They get ready to ride out of Laban's because Laban is cheating them. And she takes an idol. And Laban runs them down and said, you know, why'd you leave? Why'd you take my daughters? And uh, by the way, have you seen my idol? And Rachel hid it so well he couldn't find it. Was that important to her? It was. It was. So we have one of the matriarchs of all of Israel, the tribes, she starts out with an idolatry. She's got this secret little thing going on with her idol. And Laban wanted it back. So, you know, what's the first commandment? Thou shalt not have other gods before me. It's always been a problem, always been a problem. And uh, we, we have it too. I think we call it materialism. Um, they had all kinds of images. We have all kinds of stuff. So he's got wooden images, we got carved images, and molded images. In some of your text, it may say molten. Molten, that means it was poured, it was cast. At one point, it was liquid, and they poured it into some kind of cast or mold, and it came, came out to be a golden calf or whatever you wanted, whatever you wanted. So uh, that's that term you'll see in the old King James but all images. So this good king's starting a purge. Where? You know, <laughs> where the temple is. It's in the temple, too. It says uh, they broke down. Of course, he's, he's got a cadre of helpers here, uh, probably mostly priests. They broke down the altars of the Baals in his presence, and the incense altar that were above them, he cut, cut them down. And the wooden images and the carved images and the molded images he broke into pieces and made dust of them and scattered it on the graves of those who sacrificed to them. 
Graves are off limits. Anyhow, you're not supposed to walk on a grave according to the laws of uh, Moses. Um, probably for health issues. They say they can go back to Gettysburg uh, on some of these field hospitals and still find anthrax spores. So that was a long time ago. A long time ago. For health issues, they probably weren't supposed to be walking on graves. But now it's going to be especially sensitive because all this junk, all this idolatry junk has been ground up and put on the Baal priest grave. So they're really uninviting now. Uninviting. So he says, take that, you guys. Um, broke them all in pieces and made dust. And uh, where have we seen that before? Does that sound familiar, this, this pounding things into dust? Remember when uh, the children of Israel, when Moses went up on the mountain and he came down and they were dancing around the calf? Moses was unhappy. He was an unhappy camper. And he ground up the, this image. I have no idea how big it was. This image of this calf. And he made the people mix it with water and drink it. And I don't know what gold dust tastes like. Um, some people say, you know, if you have a, a trace in your diet, it's a good thing. But I, I think they were getting chunks, probably. But he forced them to drink that as some kind of penance, I think. Not a good thing to do, guys. I was up there talking to God. He sent me down here. You got this gold calf thing, and you lied about it. And now you're going to have to drink that thing. So grinding these things to dust is not a, not a new thing. Uh, Moses did that. Okay. Uh, he also burned the bones of the priest on the altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. So he is, uh, you know, desecrating their high places. And uh, I'm sure this is a spectacle. I'm sure people, you know, saw this worship. The worship was even in the temple. People were going to their specific idols. There were idols everywhere for everything. Uh, I don't know if you do some history of Palestine and, uh, you know, Israel. They have tiny little house idols, all kinds of them. You know, they were into it. They were into this idolatry really, really heavily. And uh, I'm sure that this spectacle of killing the priest, burning their bodies, grinding up all this hardware was really impressive. We're not taking any prisoners here. I'm serious about this purge. And we're going to get back to the way God wants it. So he is putting on quite a display. And so he, and so he did in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, as far as Nephtali, and all around with axes. So he's cutting down the asterisk poles, the things in the high places. Who knows what kind of images they are. He's hacking them all down. They're going away. Spectacle. Cleaning the house. And it's kind of unusual that he's in this area outside of Judah and Benjamin. He's moving north. And the north has been decimated by the Assyrians. So I don't think they can put up much, much resistance. He went up there and purged that too. And I'm sure that was God's wishes. So he's on the move to get all of Israel, David's original consolidated kingdom uh, back to the Lord. And when he'd broken down the altars and the wooden images 
and beaten the carved images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land, he returned to Jerusalem. And he's, he's about uh, 20 years old at this time. He's got a lot of energy. He wants to do it right. He has sought God, and this is what God has told him to do. And uh, in this next section, this is, uh, and, and we're just going to, I'm going to tell you about it because it's a lot of names and a lot of reading. Um, his 18th year of his reign, he purged the land and the temple, and then he starts to rebuild the temple because the temple's basically a mess because it's had uh, idolaters in there. And so he's building it, and he took up a collection, and he's got the money to rebuild it, and they're doing this building project, and they're pretty thorough, and uh, they make a discovery. They make this strange discovery, and that takes us down to verse 14. Now, when they had brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law that was given to Moses. And Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book uh, to Shaphan. So Shaphan carried the book to the king, bringing the king word, saying, all that has been committed to your servants, they are doing. They're built, rebuilding the temple. They're cleaning it up. It's part of the purge action. And they have gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord. And they have delivered it unto the hands of the overseers and workmen. Then Saffron, Saffron the scribe, told the king, saying, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Saffron read it before the king. This is the word of God. I don't know if this is the last copy of the word of God on the planet Earth, but it's been hidden in the temple in some back room while all this idolatry was going on in the, in the main galleries of the temple. And what they're doing in the Holy of Holies, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if the priest could keep them out of there or not. It's not mentioned. But... Really, really a dedic- uh, desecration of the temple, and they found the book of Moses. Wow, wow! I mean, that's what that's what's been all about for a long time, and it was totally lost, totally lost. They didn't have it, and they were straying into idolatry, and the nation was very weak, and they had had many, many bad kings, and now through this purging action of King Josiah, they find the word of God. Um, And in 19 it says, Thus it happened that when the king heard the words of the law, that he tore his clothes, and the king commanded Hilkiah uh, and Hikam, the son of Saffron, Abaddon, and Micah, and Saffron the the scribe, and Ahiah, Please, names give me trouble. Asiah, the servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the word of the book that is found. For great is the wrath that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord um, to do according to all that is written in the book. And if you go through the book, 
there's a situation where Moses took some tribes when they were going to go into the land, and he put them on one mountain. He called it the Mountain of Blessing. And they took some tribes over here and said, this is the Mountain of Curses. So the Mountain of Blessing, he reads the blessing of God. If you do follow me, if you follow God, you'll get all these fantastic things. And it's about a third of the chapter. So over here on the Mountain of Cursing, he reads to those tribes, what will happen if you don't follow God and you stray from my word? And that's Deuteronomy 28, I think. And the next two-thirds of the chapter is this, all these horrible curses that will come upon you if you don't follow God's word. Were they following God's word? They didn't even know where God's word was. It was lost in the temple. So they've got some curses coming, and they will come in the form of them being led off into captivity um, into Babylon. And Babylon's going to play pretty rough, and the Assyrians have played pretty rough. They hauled off the ten northern tribes already, and these curses came true. They saw them happen uh, to the ten northern tribes. And when uh, Josiah hears the reading of the book, probably the first five books uh, of the Bible, um, he says, wow, we're in for it. We're really in for it. And he wants to know how bad it's going to be. So he asks all these, these priest guys and scribes to go talk to this, uh, this lady to see what the prediction is from the Lord. And it's already been predicted because it's in the book. It's true. Um, but he's going to consult the prophet. And in 22, it says, So Hilkiah and those uh, of the kings had appointed went to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, uh, the son of Tokath, and the son of Hashfar, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem, the second quarter, and she spoke to uh, they spoke to her about these effects. And she answered them and said, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, and that would be the king, King Josiah, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. All the curses that are written in the book, uh, which they have read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, uh, that they might provoke me to anger and all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath is poured out on this place and will not be quenched. So everything that's predicted in the book is going to happen because it's God's word. And the prophetess says, that's right. His anger will not be quenched. This is all going to happen to you guys because of your idolatry. You've been... You've been bad actors to the nth, and it's going to be just like God said. And they saw that happen in Assyria. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, uh, in this manner you shall speak to him, thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard. Because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place, and against the inhabitants, and you have humbled yourself before me, and you tore your clothes and wept before me. I have heard you, says the Lord. Surely I will gather you to your fathers, 
and you shall uh, be gathered uh, to the grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see the calamity which will bring, which I will bring on to this place and its inhabitants. So they brought back the word to the king. So the scribe reads a book to the king, and the king says, man, there's some bad news coming for us. And he was so upset about that for his people and perhaps for himself that he tore his clothes. But he's been humble before the Lord. He's walking in the spirit. He is listening to what God has said. He's got this great purge going on, and he's going to be spared the calamity. Lucky him, he's killed in battle. But that's a good thing for a king. That's a good way for a king to go out. You know, kings were supposed to be battling. Kings were supposed to be protecting the people. Honor to die on the battlefield for God and for Israel. And uh, none of us get out of this alive. And that's the way the Lord chose to take him out in honor. And uh, that's what happened. And that will be in, in the next chapter. So he gets to miss all that. But all the curses of Deuteronomy 28, which are many and hard, will fall on Israel. So there's no relenting here. Even though the purge is great, there will still be judgment. There will still be judgment. Okay, Josiah restores true worship is the heading here in my Bible. Any questions up to this point? Yes. There were female judges. Uh, prophetess sounds familiar, but I would have to study that. I would have to study that. But uh, this, is, this is a pretty crucial pronouncement by a prophet. And it happens to be a gal. It happens to be a woman. Because, you know, it's doomed for Israel. They're going into captivity. So he selected a woman to validate his word. So I, I think it's noteworthy. I think it's noteworthy. Um, yeah, so let's start in 28 here. So the king sent and gathered all the elders of uh, Judah and Jerusalem, and the king went up to the house of the Lord. And all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites and all the people, and the great and small, and he, the king, read in the hearing of all, hearing of all, the word of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of God. Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before God to follow the Lord and keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul. Isn't that wonderful? Wouldn't you like to have one of our leaders do that? <laughs> wow, we. This guy came out of the shadows. This guy came out of idolatry. This guy came out of a mess. And God sent his Holy Spirit to say, you can change things. And he was willing to do it. He was a young man. He had zeal. And he did it. And after the purge, he has the word. He finds the word. What a blessing. What a blessing. And he's very impressed with it. He's very impressed with it. And he makes this stand. It says he took his stand. And uh, his testimonies... uh, he believed his testimonies with all his heart and all his soul. Isn't that what God wants? He says, 
what I want. The first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. He's got two out of three here. I bet he's got strength in there too. Hey, what a guy. What a guy. So, um, yes, 32. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand. Had him swear to this. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God and the God of their fathers. Thus Joash removed all the abominations. Uh, Josiah, excuse me, removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel and made all who were present in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God all the days they did not depart from following the Lord God of his fathers. So here is the good king, Josiah, and he is to the end managing and working the good of God and promoting the word of God. So the word of God was, was out of circulation, and we know what has happened. We see that in our country. Uh, we told God to take a hike in 63, and he did. And uh, we're paying the price now, just like they did in Jerusalem. Uh, I don't know what our judgment's going to be, but I, I think we're in for it. Uh, I read the end of the book, and everybody gets judged. So I don't know what form God's going to take. He's got many, many tools at his disposal. Um, but I just wanted to review some things that are in the Word of God. He was so happy to find the Word of God, but he knew the judgments. What makes, what makes the Word of God so valuable? You know, and uh, I went online and I, I got some things here, and we, we know most of these. It gives you wisdom. Uh, your Word I have hidden in your heart that I might not, might not sin against you. What a great thing. We can pump that into our hearts, and it's a guide for us. It's wisdom. We can recall that and say, oh, I'm not supposed to do that. That's a no-no before God. How about truth? It's truth. The word of God said, every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. And that's Proverbs 30. Uh, the word is powerful, very powerful. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division and soul and spirit. That's sharp. That's really sharp. Theologians can't have trouble doing that. And of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the hearts. You'll be judged by this. Of course, Christ is going to stand before you and say, this is my friend. Those that uh, are judged at the great white throne, they'll be, they'll be judged by this. And is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. You're not going to lie before God. He's going to know the thoughts and intents of your heart. You, you can't fake it. He knows what the motive is. Every judge in the world wants to have this power. I want to know what you're thinking about that crime. I want to know the motive. God knows. He's the perfect judge. Scripture's useful. It's real useful. All Scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. We're doing that tonight. We're doing some of that tonight. Um, it's valuable. It's everlasting. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. You got it, guys. Eternal, everlasting, beautiful. Everything we need right here. All this you see, gone. 
gone. This stands forever. This goes into eternity. Guidance. You know this one too. Uh, your lamp is a light unto my feet and a light unto my path. Most of this stuff is found in Psalms 119. Good stuff. I think we got one more here. Strong purpose. So shall my word uh, be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing which I sent it out to do. Isaiah 55. Um, God's on a mission, and when he speaks it, it's truth. It is truth. One more, wisdom again. And I love this one. Jesus puts down the Sadducees and Pharisees with this one. Uh, Jesus answered and said to them, Are you not therefore mistaken because you do not know the Scriptures nor the power of God? Wow. He said that to the most learned men in Israel that... So all they did was study the Word of God, and he said, you don't know it. You're not applying it right. Traditions are getting mixed in there. And they didn't know it near as well as Jesus did. He was the author. So finding the Word of God in the temple was miraculous. You know, it could have gone out in the purge. We're shoveling stuff up. Gone. What is, what's this old scroll? Gone. But no. The good king was presented with the Word of God. And it's super valuable, and we have it today. I don't know if it was down to one copy, but it was spared. It was spared. And God, we thank you very much for it. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time to get together and look into your word, Lord. It is it's valuable. It's going into eternity. It is so durable. So much wisdom there, Lord. It is a light unto our feet and, and a light unto our path, Lord. We thank you for that. Lord, just uh, all the folks here, give them a great week. Give them a great uh, and safe 4th of July weekend. And I think of Betsy and Kayla as they are out uh, and about looking at birds and traveling. Just give them a great time, Lord. Bring Pastor James' family back refreshed. We ask all this in your kind heavenly name. Amen.